so I'm on my phone, right? Just one day, mm-hmm. chilling uh, on my phone, scrolling through the social medias, and I open Snapchat, all right? What'd you see? Go over to the stories page. So I swipe left, go to the stories. I see Ben Hover post a story, all right? Hey. I click on the story. This man, Ben, <laughs> took a Snapchat video with his teeth missing, or his front tooth, I should say. <laughs> Missing completely, broken tooth and all, with with a song on in the background. I'm like, yo, what happened? (laughs) Man's man's fell on his face at a bar. (laughs) (laughs) He was standing up, chilling. (laughs) Yo, he was standing up. This is what he told me. He was standing up. Next second, on the ground, face first. Didn't know what happened. Honestly, how do you, how do you get to that point? I don't know, man. Uh, if I knew, I probably wouldn't have gotten there in the first place. I, I was just vibing. My friend, she thought I was playing a joke. She's like, oh my God, look, he like fell. <laughs> like, no, like, bro, there's half a cup of shattered glass in my face. Like my, I'm bleeding from my face. I'm bleeding from my lip. And, you know, half of one of my front teeth are missing. I, I don't know how bad it sounds right now. I can't really hear myself well in, in, in the headphones, but I feel like I'm lisping. I feel like I look like the guy from Tiger King, you know, the Tiger King's first husband with the tats <laughs> and, and no teeth. That's what I feel like right now. Yeah. I mean, I can't really hear a lisp, so I, I think you're good on that end, but God, that's kind of embarrassing, Ben. You just have to walk around for a couple of weeks now with a broken front tooth, crooked smile, Gotta still wear the mask. I know New York lifted their uh, mask restrictions, but you still gotta wear it because can't go without that with a missing tooth. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at like a two week timeline as far as how long it's gonna take to get it, you know, fully fixed or whatever. So yeah, I, I pre-ordered a Fauci t-shirt so people just think I'm super COVID cautious, still gonna be rocking the mask. I don't care if I'm the only person in the room. So they're they're just gonna think I'm cautious. They won't know I'm I'm deformed. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 141 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at some of the most impactful post-draft changes in ADP. We've been talking about it for literal weeks on this show, right? Every single May after the NFL draft, the entire fantasy landscape gets a big heap of information and with it, ADPs are on the move. Many, many players are shifting in where they're going in these early best ball drafts. We'll be discussing some of the most interesting changes and situations Also, we're going to take a couple of periodic breaks throughout the show just to hear from my guy, Big Joe, who's been out of state for a couple weeks and find out about his adventures in Florida during that time. If you guys are new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. We are everywhere. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, normally this is where I'd be, you know, asking you how you're doing, checking on your mental health, et cetera, et cetera. But we've been gone too long, right? We got to get into it. Got to get into the takes. The best ball lobbies are packed right now, more packed than they've ever been in May. What do you say we just get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. 
I, I mentioned it briefly, but it's like clockwork. Every single May, especially with rookies, after we get these landing spots, the ADPs just skyrocket right after the draft. And, and we'll get into some of the situations that changed the most. I think where we should start, the most predictable and obvious change that I think we all saw coming was Najee Harris. There was almost no landing spot that wouldn't immediately bump his ADP at least a full round. And that's exactly what happened. In the last two drafts that I've done, Harris has gone as the RB12 in both of them, top of the second round in both of them. That is a solid 1.5 round increase. You know, he was going at the 3-4 turn previously, and he is now solidified as a second round pick. And interestingly, the only rookie with an ADP that looks like it's going to settle in the first three rounds. How are you feeling about Najee Harris with the increased cost? I'm kind of skeptical about Najee Harris at this ADP of basically a first round price tag. I have some concerns with the Steelers offense in general. They didn't do much to address the offensive line in the draft. I know they drafted an offensive lineman in the second round, but he's still a rookie coming into the NFL. So with that being said, just talking about their offensive line, they have a bottom five offensive line in the NFL. Like I could read you their starting line right now, and it is terrible. Zach Banner, Kevin Dodson, BJ Finney, DeCastro, who is a really solid right guard, and then Chukwuma Okafora, or Okra 4. That's their starting offensive line. And mind you, their starting left tackle is currently hurt, recovering from a torn ACL. I I just don't know about Najee Harris. I mean, I like him as a player, but the situation isn't great. The Steelers statistically had the worst rushing offense in the NFL last season in terms of DVOA. They had the least amount of rushing yards out of any team in the NFL and also averaged the least amount of yards per carry. Do I see that improving? Well, no, just for the reasons that I listed, but I will say since 2013, the Steelers running backs have averaged 22 fantasy points per game. We're talking about Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams, and James Conner. There's no competition for touches at the running back position for the Steelers, and he could see upwards of 250, maybe 300 touches. But the question that I have for you is, will the opportunity be enough if the offensive efficiency isn't there? What Big Ben will we get in 2021? That's my question to you. I mean, I wish I knew the answer. I really do. But the way that I'm looking at it is that while the offensive line is certainly a concern, and I think you outlined that really well, I think that the caliber of offensive pass catchers almost offsets that because these opposing defenses aren't going to be able to just key in on the run. How can you when you've got Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Juju Smith-Schuster as your three wide set? So I I don't know. I think it's going to be a balanced team, but Najee Harris, when you look at where he's going in these drafts, I mean, I think he's deserving of that second round draft capital. You know, he's going behind even still a handful of guys that he quite clearly projects to have a more full workload than mm-hmm. Austin Eckler, uh, Nick Chubb, I think you could make that argument for, Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Jones. These guys are all guys who are going to be in guaranteed timeshares. Even Alvin Kamara is going to be in a guaranteed timeshare as a top four pick in every single draft. Najee Harris is one of what, maybe five players you can realistically project to have 300 plus touches coming into this season. And I think that opportunity is key. We see it year after year. I think just purely based on the fact that he will get receptions and that there's no competition and that the Steelers clearly value him and want to use him and establish a singular bell cow running back, it's going to be extremely hard for him to fail. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. And that's a fair point. I'm just kind of skeptical around the Steelers offense in general. 
especially with a declining Big Ben. And I know that the Steelers kind of want to get back to like the ground and pound mentality. I know they kind of uh, went away from that last year. And I, I do believe that Najee Harris is going to be a bell cow. I just don't know if those touches are going to be good touches, um, if they're mm-hmm. going to be efficient. And I don't know if the Steelers offense is going to be as good as it was in previous years. So just for those concerns, I'm probably staying away. But do I think he's a fine pick in the second round? Yeah, I don't think he's in the same tier that CEH was in terms of uh, being a bust. You know that I believe wholeheartedly that CEH was a bust at at 106 last season. Um, I don't think he's up there uh, due to his ADP being in the second round, but I think it could backfire in the end when it's all said and done. That's fair. I mean, right now, I would still encourage people, if you believe in Najee Harris, to get him because I think the closer and closer we get, the more we start seeing clips surface online of him making some, you know, nice jukes and shorts, no pads on. I think the ADP is going to rise. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was a first round pick a couple of months from now in July and August. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. And I think he will end up being a first round pick. And if that's the case, I probably will have very few shares of him. And just in terms of the receptions, I, I think Najee Harris will be fifth on the Steelers and targets. Just take that as you will. Who's fourth? Eric Ebron? He'll, he'll be behind Eric Ebron in targets for sure. If Ebron That's stays absolutely healthy. absolutely crazy. Yes. Wow. Big Eric Ebron <laughs> guy. All right. <laughs> the top three running backs, I think it's interesting that in terms of ADP, remain the same pre-draft as they did post-draft. That's not usually the case. Like oftentimes, landing spots will just drastically shift people's interest in these rookies. And we definitely saw that in the later rounds with guys like Sermon and Carter definitively leapfrogging uh, Hubbard and Gainwell, guys that they were going behind in every draft pre-draft. However, people remain high on the number two and three guys guys in this class, you know, Travis Etienne and Javante Williams. Etienne's ADP barely moved. He remains an early fourth round pick where he was going before, but Javante appears to have jumped into the fourth round and essentially swapped acquisition costs with his backfield mate and presumed Denver starting running back Melvin Gordon. Uh, How do you see this Denver backfield shaking out in year one? And are you buying either of these guys at their current ADPs, Williams in the fourth, Gordon in the fifth? For this year, I wholeheartedly believe that it will be a timeshare. And we saw it happen last year with uh, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. Um, with Melvin Gordon getting the majority of touches, he was close to 250. I think he was at 248 total last year. I don't think he's going to get that with Javante there, especially since the Broncos traded up for Javante in the second round. Um, he's going to be on the field, but I think it's very likely that we're going to see a timeshare. And I don't know which running back they're going to use in the pass catching role and the third down role. So that's going to be something obviously we'll see when the NFL season starts. Just for those reasons, it makes it hard for me personally to draft either one of them at ADP, especially Javante Williams at a fourth round ADP. I just think that Melvin Gordon is a serviceable veteran running back who is going to get touches. He will probably be used at the goal line as well. Like that's kind of been his role throughout the career. He's been a career touchdown scorer, Melvin Gordon, that is. So 
for me, that makes Javante Williams kind of like a low floor, low ceiling option. And that also makes Melvin Gordon kind of like a lower floor option for me as well. So I'm staying away from those guys and I'd much rather target the wide receivers in that fourth, fifth round range than Javante or Melvin Gordon. I think that's an extremely fair point. I'm kind of seeing it the same way. I also know that Mike Boone is the guy that the new GM handpicked in Minnesota and brought over, um, you know, during free agency. So I think all of these guys are going to get utilization. Obviously, if we're talking dynasty in the future, I, yeah. I would be most bullish on Williams. I don't think Gordon makes it on this roster past this year. And there, mm-hmm. there's even a solid chance that he doesn't make it to week one, I think, which, you know, if that were the case, then Williams would be a smash value in the fourth. But the thing with me is I'm pretty much just staying away from Denver and all of their skill position players. I'm uninspired by Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke as, as the heads of this offense, regardless of who it is. I think it's clear cut, a bottom five quarterback room in the NFL, and that's going to affect the offense at all levels. Could things change? Could they make a splash for Aaron Rodgers at some point? Yeah, maybe, but it seems like the time to do so would have been the draft and you know all, all reports out of Green Bay is that they're going to do everything they can to make this right with Rodgers. Now, whether or not he's down, who knows, but Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Javante Gordon, Fant, I don't know. I just don't know if there's going to be enough production in this offense to go around for all these guys. Obviously, quarterback is the most important position in football, and if you're rolling with Drew Locke as your starter or Teddy Bridgewater, honestly, at this point, I would probably rather have Teddy as, as my starter oh, yeah. over Drew Locke. Yeah, so if you're, if you're rolling with one of those two guys, the overall upside of the offense is severely diminished, but if Melvin Gordon or Javante, if something were to happen to one of them, then um, I, I think both of them would be values. But at this point in time, I'm staying away from both of them at ADP. And I think that's the right thing to do, especially in, in situations like this, where it could be a two running back or even a three running back timeshare, like you mentioned, if Mike Boone can get some touches in as well. Yeah, two to three backs. Absolutely. And it's going to be on a bad offense. That's a hard pass for me now. An offense that we're a little bit more bullish on that saw a first round running back come into the fold is the Jacksonville Jaguars, where we've got ETN and James. James Robinson. So I mentioned briefly how ETN's ADP barely moved, but when the Jags spent a first round draft pick on the running back position, my guy, James Robinson just took a brutal hit. And I have to be honest, I'm surprised that his ADP only fell two rounds post-draft. You know, our last podcast, which was like sort of an immediate reaction podcast to the rookie landing spots, you and I were both talking. I went back and listened. We're thinking J-Rob's going to be going in the eighth, ninth round. He settled in around the fifth, maybe sixth if you're lucky, but I don't know if that price is too expensive. How are you feeling about James Robinson after they added Travis Etienne in the first round? Yeah, so I think James Robinson takes a sizable hit with the drafting of ETN obviously drafting a running back in the first round like they're gonna play him um I I think that's fairly certain but that doesn't mean he still won't be productive right personally I don't think I'm buying at his ADP but if he does drop a few rounds to like the seventh or eighth or ninth like we uh, originally thought that he would drop to then I'd be interested like I just said he's gonna have a role and he could still be productive now I don't know what that role is if it's 10 to 12 touches per game 
or 12 to 14 touches per game. And if he gets the red zone touches as well, I think that's, you know, an assumption that you'll have to make when you're justifying taking him in the fifth round. Mm -hmm. Because if you're taking him in the fifth round, you're assuming that he's going to get 15 touches per game. He's going to get the goal line carries and, and the red zone touches which I don't know if he is, so that's kind of why I won't take him in the fifth round. But all in all, I think fifth round is a little too expensive for J-Rob if I just had to sum it up. So yeah, I mean, I think that the roles that these two players are going to be different enough that they can both have standalone value, i.e. Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara from a few years back. But ETN is going to have the better role, right? Especially mm-hmm. in full PPR, like we tend to focus on, you know, he's being utilized as a wide receiver exclusively in Jags rookie camp. You know, they want him to be an elite dual threat back. And the thing with J-Rob is a lot of his production did come from sheer volume. I mean, he had eight games with four or more receptions. And I think that that's going to get eaten into heavily by ETM this season. So I don't know how much they cannibalize each other um, on a week to week basis. Maybe, you know, they, they trade weeks where one is the the A and one is the B, but I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a dicey situation. I think I need J Rob's value to fall a little more before I feel comfortable drafting him and ETN. I'll take exposure because the reception upside is obviously immense and that can lead to super high ceilings at the running back position. But you know, James Robinson's a guy I have a lot of respect for, and I think there's going to be a lot of mouths to feed there. So I, I'm not going to be full blown on ETN. I'll take him for exposure, but he won't be one of my highest owned running backs in best ball. In terms of ETN's ceiling, I think his ceiling is very high because Urban is obviously making it clear that he wants to use ETN in a variety of ways, right? So combine that with the fact that ETN is a very explosive player. He can score a touchdown from anywhere on the field at any given moment, anytime he touches the ball. I think he has a very high ceiling for 2021 like you mentioned he's going to be used in the passing game heavily I don't know I think I'm way higher on ETN than you are I'll probably will have more exposure because Urban Meyer just loves this guy like absolutely loves him and I just have a quote from Urban he was like we look at our history Curtis Samuel Percy Harvin Paris Campbell I love those types of players this game is about speed it's about big plays Jacksonville had a hard time getting big plays last year. We felt he was the number one player on the board. He's a big play waiting to happen. And to say he's going to be purely a running back, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. He's going to be a guy that he's a great puzzle piece that you can do a lot of things with. What exactly can we do with him? That's to be determined. But he's a fast athlete, a great person, and has very good ball skills. He loves this man already. Travis Etienne to the moon. Let me just say this. A donkey loves grass, but I'm not going to go eat grass just because a donkey likes it. <laughs> Think about that. Let that sit. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know, man. I, I I don't know why they needed to go draft a Percy Harvin type when they already had LaVisca Chanel. Like, you've already got I mean, that ETN guy, but... is better than LaVisca as a player. <sighs> All right, man. Uh, at this point, we have to take a break. I think that that Florida Sun might have fried your brain a little bit, disrespecting Visco like that. So how was it, right? Two weeks in Florida. Let's get a little background music uh, coming in here. And and the listeners might not know this about you, Joey, but Florida's your shit, right? From an outside perspective, I'm not sure why, right? It seems like a pretty garbage state in my opinion. I've never been, so I could be completely ignorant there. But, you know, if I'm picking what state I want to go to, 25, 30 states easily ahead of Florida. But year after year, you find your way back. So why Florida? What was the occasion? Who'd you go with? How was your trip? Let us know. Yeah, so I just went with my family and 
my girl. Florida is, is just a very nice place. Like the sun's always out. It's always 80 plus degrees every single day. Pure sun, pure happiness, pure joy. So I, I just love it. I love being there. Uh, would much rather be there than New York at this point. I, I don't know. I, I just... I just love the vibe of Florida, palm trees everywhere, everybody's happy, chilling, no mask, you don't gotta wear a mask anywhere. I don't know, I just like the vibe of Florida, man, it's just my vibe. Um, Were you beach vibing? Were you like club vibing? Oh, yeah, so we went to the beach, um, no no clubs, no bars or nothing, but obviously did, did drink quite a bit. Had a couple, uh, mm. had a couple drinks at, at like the poolside bar. So if that counts, right. went to went to Universal. Uh, we could talk about that later. Yeah, just you know, did did some family things, did did some things with my girl, and it was it was a dope trip, and just needed that mental reset. Mm. Yeah. All right. I feel you. We can k- get back to football. We'll check back in. I, I have a few more follow up questions uh, that I want to ask you for sure. But look. We've been focusing on rookies to this point, but let's highlight a couple of vets and let's just call it, you know, these vets during the draft process, they dodged some major bullets, right? I'm talking dodging bullets like I do in Warzone, right? Elite movement, ducking and swerving type of shit. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Miles Gaskin. He's going as a back-end RB2 in the fourth round after previously being like a fringe seventh, eighth round pick leading up to the draft. The Dolphins didn't add a running back, at least not one that we're concerned about. We've referenced it on the YouTube, on our streams, but I think we both agree that Gaskin is the biggest veteran winner post-NFL draft. He was the RB12 in fantasy points per game last season, and there was literally no reason he can't repeat that production or even expand on it in an offense that we expect to improve in Miami. I know that we're both high on Miles Gaskin and the Dolphins offense in general for 2021. Uh, the Dolphins offense is trending in the right direction, adding playmakers like Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle through the draft. And then just touching on Miles Gaskin, I mean, he's a pass catching running back that showed he is capable of putting up big ceiling games in, in fantasy football. And that's what we care about. He put up what, like a 33 point game a 28 point game in 2020 so i think miles gaskin is a fine buy in round four i think he was a great buy in round seven and round eight and he's seen one of the biggest adp jumps out of any player in the entire nfl and rightfully so but with the pros there come some cons right i think one con with miles gaskin is the situation that he's in just in terms of the running backs in miami they still have salvin ahmed who showed that he could get the yard if needed uh, they went out and signed Malcolm Brown and I've seen a lot of people speculate that he could be the goal line running back when it's all said and done so these are running backs that could come on the field could take away touches or red zone opportunities so that's one con that I have the other one is Tua targeted his running backs at a way lower rate than Fitz I think it was around 16 percent when Tua started last year and then the big thing is the offense is reliant on Tua being the player he was drafted to be and I think that is the biggest question mark at this point for the entire Dolphins offense and all of the skill position players on the Dolphins right I I think all of these guys are dependent on Tua taking that step forward, not being considered a bust in year two, which a lot of people think he is a bust. And a lot of people believe that Miami should have drafted a quarterback and got rid of Tua or or traded for Watson or whomever. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is can we see an improvement in Tua? I know that you believe he will improve and I believe that he will, but 
we're going to have to wait and see if he actually can or not. I mean, that's definitely true. And I think it's true of all the players in Miami. Like you said, I mean, Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki, and Miles Gaskin as well. We need Tua to take that step for these guys to pay off in fantasy. But I believe they do. And I think that this situation, you know, plays out really well. Like Salvin Ahmed is, uh, you know, he's fine. He is what he is. But I think Miles Gaskin has more upside. And I think that this run game and this team in general could get more efficient on a play-by-play basis. You know, they went from running guys like, you know, Lynn Bowden and Preston Williams and somebody else that I can't remember <laughs> to having Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller on the outside. They're going to be spreading defenses around quite a bit more, and that could open up a lot for Miles Gaskin underneath. We're both high on him. We'll see if it works out or not, but I think that Miles Gaskin is definitely a good buy in fantasy at this point at a fourth round ADP. So I'll definitely have some shares of Miles Gaskin, probably decent exposure. Agreed. Absolutely. Let's keep it uh, in the AFC with Zach Moss. Look, I think it's fair to say that neither of us were overly high on Zach Moss in early drafts, pre-draft best ball drafts. I had few, if any, shares in my 75 entries into the drafters pre-draft best ball tournament, and I was happy to fade him uh, at a 14th round price tag in those leagues. Now, I find myself interested in him in the 10th round, and I know that you are too because you took him in the 10th round on our last stream. So what are your thoughts on Zach Moss? Are you also coming around to him as the potential starting running back for the Buffalo Bills? I don't mind Zach Moss. I do believe that he will be the starter in Buffalo for 2021. He has third round draft capital. I like that he's attached to one of the best offenses in the NFL. And taking a look at his metrics, we can see that he he does have like the prototypical build of a starting running back in the NFL, which Devin Singletary does not. So I think that helps Zach Moss's case for being the starting running back. But I will also say that he's not the most athletic guy in the world. Ran a 4-6, 40-yard dash, uh, very low speed score. But he was uh, very productive in college. I, I think the jury's still out on Zach Moss. If I had to project him for 2021, I, I think he will see 12 to 14 touches per game. And then I, I think he could have some value, especially if he's the goal line running back. But we know that Josh Allen is going to vulture rush attempts and rushing touchdowns, which hurts Zach Moss's ceiling a little bit. But he also started to outtouch Devin Singletary as well towards the end of the season. So I do believe Zach Moss will be the starter. I don't mind him, but I'm not going to be actively looking to draft Zach Moss. I think I agree with that take, but and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I think that running back is dying off quite a bit quicker in these uh, drafts as it stands right now. So Zach Moss is a guy who I think at least has some upside, but you, I mean, you alluded to it. Josh Allen hasn't had less than eight touchdowns in any of his years as a starter in the league. So he's a clear cut threat at the goal line. I don't see that changing. I think we both expect this to be a pass happy team. And I, I agree, right? Devin Singletary is not that guy. We, we have enough evidence that he's not the guy, but even still, with the Bills making a, a concerted effort to focus on Zach Moss at points in the year last year, Singletary still averaged more points per game, nine points to, uh, to Moss's 7.8 per game, because the thing is, is they utilize Singletary in the passing game. And if Zach Moss isn't going to be a clear-cut threat at the goal line, I just, I don't know what the upside is. So I'm torn on him. I think that if Singletary ever went down for some reason and Moss was getting a true full workload, you know, 18 plus touches, 
catches and maybe a couple of receptions along the way, then we could really be cooking. So I'm willing to take a shot on him, but I think it's a fragile shot and it's pretty much a best ball exclusive shot. I don't I don't think I would have very much interest in any other format. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that take on, on Zach Moss for sure. Do you have any interest in Devin Singletary about three rounds later in the in the past couple of drafts I've done? I've seen him go in the 11th round and I've seen him go in the 13th round. So later than Zach Moss definitively, but should be the clear cut number two on an offense we both like. Uh, nah, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just nah. I mean, he's just an undersized scat back at this point. His metrics are god awful. Like they're worse than Zach Moss's, which is hard to do. Yeah, j- just no, thank you on on Devin Singletary. Um, maybe that's from the DFS bias where this man was chalked multiple weeks, and I played him every fucking time and he scored (laughs) five points every time so maybe i just kind of eliminated devin singletary from like my mind and in my player pool and and maybe that'll hurt me but i'm fine with 100 full fading devin singletary i have zero shares of him across any website and that's probably like 40 entries 50 entries total well all right so we know where you stand on devin yeah he he's he's a beta for sure all right, copy that. One last veteran that I want to touch on here, my boy, Joey B, Joe Burrow. Bengals drafted Jamar Chase with the fifth pick in the NFL draft. His ADP jumps two rounds. We saw that coming. He He's going in the fifth every single trip now. T. Higgins, he drops around but still remains the top 70 pick in all fantasy formats. And Tyler Boyd, who the fantasy community seems to have singled out as the odd man out of this group, despite having what I think is a clearly defined role that is vastly different from the two gentlemen I just named. Boyd's ADP hasn't really moved. He's still going in the seventh, eighth round if you're lucky, just like he was before the chase edition. One of two things are going to be true in this situation. Either one or multiple of these pass catchers are being overdrafted or, or Joey, Joe Burrow is being vastly underdrafted as a fringe QB1 settling in in the ADP range of QB11 through QB13. How do you see this playing out? Is Joe Burrow going to be able to support the ADP of three wide receivers in the first seven rounds? I truly think that he will be able to. Mm. If the trends stay the same from last season with the Bengals being one of the more pass heavy teams in the NFL running four wide receiver, five wide receiver sets uh, more than any other team in the NFL or at least top five in the NFL, I should say. I think that Joe Burrow can support Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins for 2021. I think that Joe Burrow is a good quarterback. You know, they gave him another weapon in chase. The offensive line should be better with Burrow coming back off of his torn ACL. He's going to have an immediate connection with Jamar Chase. Obviously, they played together. He showed that he had a connection with T. Higgins last year, who showed that he can uh, routinely hit his ceiling. And Tyler Boyd, I I mean, God, I've never been a Tyler Boyd fan. You know that. But if he's the odd man out like like you uh, phrased it, and say his ADP starts dropping over the next couple of weeks or months, I think he might be one of my favorite targets at wide receiver because, I, like you said, he's going to have the role that neither Jamar Chase or Higgins play. So I'm, I'm high on the Bengals. Um, I'm high on the wide receivers. Obviously, you know, I was taking Jamar Chase in, in the seventh round every trip. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on Joe Burrow. All in on the Bengals. If Joe Burrow passes for 550 or, or 600 attempts, 
yeah, they're they're going to the moon. Joe Burrow is in contention to lead the league in pass attempts, mm-hmm. no? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. That That's what it was looking like last year. I think that right. if he plays 16 games last year, he only played 10 or, or 9 in part of one. The game that he got hurt, he would have been top three in the NFL for sure in pass attempts. Yeah, it's the same scheme. It's the same play caller. I mean, they gave this man Joe Burrow 61 uh, passing plays in his second game in the NFL. <laughs> like, uh, we know what this team wants to do. And Jamar Chase is such a huge upgrade over the decrepit uh, former corpse of AJ Green. So I think that what we're going to see is a lot of pass attempts and I think a lot of, uh, you know, high scoring games from all three of these guys. Sneak peek within the next couple of weeks, Joey, we're going to be dropping our rankings. At least I'll be dropping my rankings for best ball and sneak peek. Joe Burrow is my my QB eight right now, ahead mm. of Justin Herbert, ahead of Matthew Stafford, and ahead of some other guys. I'm I'm all in on Joe Burrow this year. Spicy, I like it. I'm, I'm high on the Bengals for 2021, and their defense shouldn't be much better than it was in 2020 so I would expect the Bengals to be in positive game scripts throughout the entire season which obviously helps uh, Joe Burrow and the pass catchers indeed it does okay let me get this music coming back in here let's take a minute circle back to the Florida trip I want to talk about the highs and lows and I want to start positive you know we got to bring the love first what was the best ride at uh, Universal so clear cut the most fun ride is the the rip it rocket ride which is their big roller coaster but the thing with like universal and disney and uh you said you've never been to florida so you haven't been there is all of their rides are like 3d rides which which Mm -hmm. is really cool they have like a transformer ride where you go through like fighting the decepticons and stuff and it feels like you're a transformer and you you know you have your 3d (laughs) glasses on and it's shit's crazy like it's basically like you're in the movie of the ride so they have like a spider-man one they have like a revenge of the mummy they have a simpsons um they have a jimmy fallon one so all of those are all 3d and you know you just sit in the ride and with the glasses on and it feels like you're just in there immersed in the experience so fun that that's good man i'm glad you had a good time but i I did notice at least one low point for you uh you know i don't want to assume that it was anything but beautiful and immaculate for you but i did see you tweet that you know you're never going on vacation with these bums again or or something to the effect of that what what, what was going on (laughs) yeah so love my family mom paid for the whole vacation all great right appreciate shout out to moms appreciate all all of that what she did but staying with your family for two weeks especially when you have a bunch of younger siblings which you only have one i have three and they're all way younger 10 15 years younger than me yeah um they're hella annoying and then they they frustrate (laughs) my mom and then she gets in, in like her mood and her bad mood because the kids are frustrating her so it just becomes something else you know and then it just annoys me because I'm just chill, laid back. That's my personality. That's how I've always been. I'm just chill, go with the flow, laid back. Then they just bring me to a whole nother level when they're just annoying the fuck out of me for two weeks straight and love them. But I'm never, ever going on family vacation with them again. Just for that reason. I can't deal with it anymore. Especially getting older. I don't got time for all that. You feel me? Oh, yeah. I, I feel you for sure. Uh, next trip is just you and Bay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, a little, a little boys trip again. That that was. Hey, you already know that's coming. All right, that was good. That was good. All right, so we could talk about player values 
all day, right? There, there's a lot of guys that I want to get to, and we'll probably have a couple more shows coming soon where we focus on this, but don't want it to turn into a two-hour podcast. My mouth hurts like a bitch, so we, we got we to gotta wrap it, right? So let's zoom out for a second and discuss how the entire landscape of ADP has shifted and affected the general strategy that we've been utilizing in these best ball tournaments. I know that we've each done a couple of drafts now since, you know, quote unquote vacation ended. So, you know, what are some different strategies, some different overarching themes that you've noticed since, you know, joining these drafts after the NFL draft? I think the number one thing in best ball right now is the hyper fragile running back build where, mm. you know, you, you take a couple of running backs early and then you just don't take any anymore and you usually end up with four that that's kind of the biggest thing that i've seen in the fantasy community over the last couple of weeks and a lot of people have been utilizing that especially on underdog um which they have 18 rounds i know drafters has 20 rounds so that's what i've been noticing and a lot of people have been adapting that which means um the running backs are coming off the board quicker the tier of running backs after like round 10 round 11 is terrible it's trash i it's god i don't want any part in the guys that are going past round 11 and just for reference that's uh jamal williams went in the 12th round in the draft we did on monday on drafters uh jd mckissick in the 12th round latavius in the 12th round yeah no thank you sir just absolutely no shot that's what that's what i've been noticing over the last couple of weeks yeah do you think there's any merit to fading what worked last year because i think the reason that everybody is going hyper fragile running back is because it was the winning strategy last year and you know that information's out you know every best ball is becoming more popular there's a million dollar prize pool up top on this underdog tournament so more casuals are getting in and they're doing their research and they're seeing that this is what worked last year, but what worked last year doesn't necessarily work every year. So do you think that there is some merit in trying to sort of zag when the rest of the field is zigging? Oh yeah, 100%. Um, because you want leverage on the field, right? And if the field is on one particular build, there's always pretty good merit to going away from that build. I would just advise, you know, let, let the draft fall to you, right? You don't want to mm -hmm. reach on players to fit a specific build like if, if your team ends up working out to where you don't draft a running back until like the sixth round or, or whatever then you know so be it and then you take five or, or six running backs and while everybody else is reaching for these suspect running backs and you know david montgomery in the fourth round and josh jacobs in the fourth round then you let them make those mistakes and you don't make those mistakes and then just touching on the point of the strategy i mean we see it in dfs every year and i haven't been playing best ball long enough so i don't really know but the strategy changes year to year what worked last year i can guarantee will not work this year happens in dfs mm -hmm. every single year right yep happens every year 2019 pay pay up for running backs get the workhorse running backs 2020 pay up for wide receiver play three 4k running backs you know play a 3k tight end that was a strategy last year is that going to work in 2021 absolutely not absolutely pay up not. for quarterback last year that was a huge difference yeah pay up for quarterback pay up for wide receiver 
pay down running back, pay down tight end. That was the winning strategy last year. We were both winning players. Is that going to be the strategy moving forward? I believe it won't mm. just because it changes year to year. So don't get stuck on a specific build. It will lose you money in the long run. Yep, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And one thing that I'm trying to work on in my own game is not chasing stacks so aggressively. Now, I, I'll, I'll maintain that on a site like Underdog where it can really, really pay off in playoff weeks. But on drafters where we draft a lot of leagues, you and I, for our streams and such total points, I'm not going to be reaching on these stacks anymore. Yeah. I think that A, everybody who is going to get these stacks on value, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by reaching for them because other people are going to have these stacks. So don't get them unless they fall to you naturally and, and can make a value. Yeah. Especially in a total points format, I 100% agree that you know stacking is good, but it's definitely not necessary if you're sacrificing ADP value to complete a stack. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of value, right, I think that a lot of the sneaky late round flyers are, are no longer sneaky. These guys that we've been drafting for months in the 18th, 19th round, you can't get Traquan in the 19th anymore. Okay, you can't get Brashad Perryman in the 20th anymore. These guys are all going in, you know, the 14th, 15th round type of thing. You know, Gabriel Davis isn't in the 15th anymore. He's in the 12th. So we have to find some new players. If you're playing on drafters like we do often, you know, they added two teams per draft, 20 rounds. That's 40 more players being drafted every single trip. So we have to go deeper. We have to find some new guys who are a couple of late round targets that you found yourself coming around to recently that maybe you weren't on before. Yeah, so I, I think one... One that jumps to the front of my head is Tyrell Williams, who you can get in the 18th round uh, right now. That's where he went in our draft on Monday. I, I just think that he's going to be a starting wide receiver on a team that is going to throw the ball. We know Jared Goff is capable of putting up a lot of passing attempts. We've seen it before. The Lions are going to be a losing team. I expect them to be one of the more pass-heavier teams in the NFL. If Tyrell Williams stays healthy, I think in the 18th round, you're, you're going to get value out of him. I mean, he's not going to leave the field. Clear-cut starter in Detroit. They have nobody else. That's pretty much my reasoning for Tyrell. Obviously, the offensive environment is not very good, but opportunity will you know, mitigate any concern that I have, especially at an 18th round ADP. I mean, it's a, it's low risk, high reward, right? Especially if you're only risking $5. A hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I think there's a bit of an added injury risk for all Detroit Lions <laughs> as head coach Dan Campbell is lobbying with ownership to get a pet lion to, to motivate the troops at practice. I don't know what all that's about, but he was basically insinuating that, you know, if the players are struggling in practice, he's going to have the lion go over there and teach him a lesson. So, I mean, you know, Tyrell, Williams runs the wrong route. Next thing you know, he's getting his arm bitten off by a 400 pound cat. <laughs> oh, Dan Campbell. What a guy. But I, I will say <laughs> that Tyrell Williams was in LA with Anthony Lynn, who was the current Lions offensive coordinator in 2017 and 2018. He averaged 16.4 yards per catch and he hauled in 62% of his uh, 134 targets when he was with the Chargers. So this is a big play threat and Tyrell Williams, he is a bigger bodied wide receiver. So I think that gives him some uh, touchdown upside as well. I think he is a phenomenal value at this point in the 18th round. I like it. I'm going to throw out a name of another deep threat wide receiver. 
a man who goes by the name of Anthony Schwartz to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he wasn't really on my radar pre-draft, but he gets some good draft capital, goes in the third round, and I think that he could have a, a big role on uh, this offense as the primary deep threat. He ran a, a 4-3-2 at the Combine, a 4-2-7 at his pro day. This man is a stone-cold burner, probably the fastest rookie in this incoming class. Six foot 186, he has good size, and he does different things, right? Odell is an explosive player don't get me wrong, but he's more of a yards after the catch guy, throw a slant, see how far he can take it afterwards. Jarvis Landry is going to be used in the slot. I think Anthony Schwartz could do what the Browns wanted Rashard Higgins to do and what they tried to get Donovan Peoples-Jones to do. Um, if they find success with this draft pick, I think Schwartz as, as a 19th, 20th round pick could have a couple of big time weeks uh, for the Cleveland Browns this year. I mean, I'm probably staying away just because there won't be a lot of opportunity for him and he wasn't even drafted in our draft on Monday. That goes to show you uh, his ADP currently. I, I just don't know his position on the depth chart. He's probably what? Their wide receiver four at best. At, yeah, at best. That's what, I, that's what I would say. And so you have those wide receivers above him. You have Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant and even David Njoku still on the team right now who are going to be on the field. And then you combine that with the fact that the Browns want to run the ball at a higher rate. I don't I don't know about that one, Benny, but you know, maybe he's the next Tyreek Hill, isn't that what they say? Everybody's the next Tyreek yeah. Hill. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> so so maybe he can uh, cover out some playing time um if you know something happens to the players above him where some opportunity gets opened up. Anybody else you want to throw out there as a late round target? Yeah, I mean, all these guys are are pretty trash. But one guy that I've been targeting um, even before the draft happened was Deshaun Jackson and his ADP really didn't move. Uh, he went in the 17th round in our draft on Monday. And I think there's just a common theme. I want guys that are going to be on the field. I think Deshaun Jackson is the wide receiver three in that offense. I don't care about Tutu Atwell, an undersized uh, wide receiver. Djax is old. He is brittle. But if he stays healthy, I think he could be a very good deep threat for Matt Stafford. And at the 17th round, I'll take a chance on uh, the Rams wide receiver three, I believe, at this point. So he's the other guy that I like. But I mean, that, that that's type disrespectful to Van Jefferson. Bro, Van Jefferson is, is dog water. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> he, he's, he's not that good, but... You know, uh, Van Jefferson's going in the 18th round, so I, I know that's kind of your vibe. Absolutely. I want I want to run this last name by you. You know, you're the self-proclaimed and also evidence-based tight end whisperer, right? You you nail these fringe sleeper tight ends year after year. You've been doing it for multiple years on this podcast, and there's a guy that I'm starting to fall for, and I want to know if he's on your radar. A man by the name of Kylan Granson. Are you familiar with this gentleman? Absolutely not. Do I need to be familiar? That's a question. You absolutely do, because he was a fourth round pick by the Indianapolis Colts this season, handpicked by all reports by Frank Reich. He was the first offensive player that the Colts drafted in this year's draft. And if we think about times that Carson Wentz was successful, if we're buying in to the Carson Wentz return to glory with his former coach, Frank Reich, what was a big part of that? 
it was Zach Ertz, who, you know, 2016, 78 catches with Carson Wentz, 2017, 74 catches, 2018, 1100 yards. Carson Wentz also made Dallas Goddard as the tight end to a fantasy viable player. Jack Doyle, Mo Ali Cox, no thank you. This man was handpicked to be a route runner, to be the pass catching tight end for a scheme that uses tight ends with a quarterback that has historically used tight ends and made them fantasy productive. I'm all aboard. Kylan Granson, he's free in every draft, 20th round if you want him. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I have no take because I didn't even know this guy existed. Don't really have much input, but I'll take your word for it. And I guess I'll have to uh, do some research on Kylan uh, Grainson. What I'm looking at right now, I think he could be solid, but I don't know. I'd be a little skeptical from looking Six, at one, from two, looking 40, at his one. He's an undersized tight end. He's a he's basically a slow wide receiver from like his profile. Six one, you're you're not a tight end if you're six one. I'm sorry. Hey 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 hey. His best comparable on player profiler is Jacob Hollister. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take a little Jacob Hollister action. Yeah, I mean, Hollister's not bad, I don't think. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. All right. Before we get out of here, final bit of vacation talk. And look, Joey, I want you to let your guard down for this one, okay? I want you to be real with me right now. I'm always real. How much were you in your toe rubbing bag for this trip? You know, I, I know sometimes we joke on the pod, you know, like, I'm a simp, you're a simp. I'm not calling you a simp. That's not what this is. I'm just genuinely asking. Did you give it up? like you wanted to on this trip because out of our entire friend group you know outside of the podcast you're the original toe rubber okay that's who you are and what i mean by that if the listeners don't quite get the lingo it means that joey is a man who likes to rub his girl's toes it's a romantic gesture right a lot of the time women have it rough in society early mornings long days hard work they like to come home to their man and and get a little foot rub in florida I can, I, I'm imagining this happening on the beach, in the sand. You know, you got a drink in one hand, your girl's foot in the other, getting that stress out for her. I'm pretty sure that the only reason you stayed two weeks instead of one was because you couldn't rub as many toes as you wanted to in seven days as you could in 14. So so a- am I correct in this assumption? And, and did you get it all out of your system? You're absolutely not correct. I thought we were going to keep it real. <laughs> Oh goodness, Ben! You know, I, I'm just, I'm just embarrassed that you would even ask that. To be honest, I, I mean, I have, I have no problem giving out, giving out foot rubs or back rubs or, or whatever. But the fact yeah. that you correlate that with me is kind of disrespectful. All right, I'm the one getting the foot rubs. You feel me? You, you get, you get what I'm saying? I don't. Tell me. <laughs> nah, I can't tell you. All right. Okay. You just got to trust me. Mm-hmm. Okay. We did no foot rubbing in Florida. We were just vibing. This sounds having nice. Having a good time on vacation, yeah. enjoying the beautiful sun, enjoying the beautiful Florida weather, not have to work, you know, not have to worry about paying the bills, paying rent, all of that. We're just vibing. All right. That's all it was, was vibes. I know you're a big vibe guy. I am. I say it at the end of every podcast. You gotta res- Love vibes. You got to respect the vibes. Indeed, indeed, I do, man. I, I was just checking because I know that you're big in to the rubbing of toes. Like you have been for the direct. I've known you for 15 years. You can't front on me. I, that that's a known thing about you. You love to rub the toes. You love to be that that support system for your girl. <laughs> I know that about you. It's known. Is it? I don't know. Is it? I don't think so. <laughs> 
This is when I wish Jared was here to, to back me up. I, I, I've never would. I've never done anything <laughs> that would make you think that. So I don't know where you get that from. I, I can't expose you on the pod like you've tried to do to do to me in the past. Try. You mean successfully done. <laughs> because you exhibit more uh, simp behavior than pretty much anybody I know. I mean, that's just that's just a false narrative, <laughs> plain and simple. Is it? I don't think it is. Well, I guess we'll have to let the listeners uh, decide who they believe more in this situation. But I think that that is going to be it for episode 141 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrying DFS. New episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We'll be back on Thursday, May 27th with episode 142. Make sure you check out our live streams every Monday on the YouTube channel. If you're listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. We need to stay accountable. For example, if you bust your face acting like a drunk asshole and chip your tooth, acknowledge that as karma and don't blame anybody else. Blame yourself. But absolutely, make sure we keep it authentic. Until next time, vibes. Vibes.